I am accustomed to having things pretty much laid out for me as far as where we're going from week to week. Uh, in the preaching on Sunday morning, you know, we, we were in the book of Luke for three and a half years, uh, just over three and a half years. And, uh, it's easy to know next Sunday's sermon will be from the, the next section, the next few verses, the next paragraph, uh, of Luke. That's, you know, that's an easy thing. And we have that now with the book of Acts on Sunday morning. So, so we know that the Sunday morning sermon will be from the next, uh, the next section, the next passage. I'm um, just pulling up our group me here. If I can figure out how to work uh, all this electronics. Um, so it's it's easy to have those things laid out for you and know where you're going. And I'm accustomed to having that not only on Sunday mornings for the sermon, but also on Sunday evenings, uh, not Sunday evenings, on Wednesday evenings, uh, we have for the longest time done a regular uh, 1689 confessional study. And uh, I still am a, am a uh, strong believer in, in a confessional study for, um, uh, for, for a church to have going pretty much all the time. Uh, our departure from our confession study uh, over the last few months has been partly due to uh, sheltering in place and not meeting regularly. It's just been something that we've done that's kind of kind of different. Uh, but uh, I want to get back to that. I want to get to something that is uh, that is uh, in a series that we all know. That that also helps us. It not only helps me to know what to do. It also helps us to know how to think when we start thinking about, for instance, Sunday morning, this coming Sunday morning. You don't have to think hard to say, well, we were in Acts chapter two last time. Let me go read the passage that we were in and uh, and see uh, if we're going to do that. Maybe a few verses extra. And you kind of get that idea of you may not know exactly where we're going to be or exactly what the preacher is going to say on Sunday. But you'll have some some general idea and you can be praying to the um, to the specifics of what that text says. And I want to get to that point because I think that's good also for Wednesday nights. If we're in a section of the confession and we know we are on uh, baptism in the Lord's table, the ordinances of the church, then you can be praying about those things. You can be thinking about those things. You can be reading scripture in your in your Bible study that uh, that lends toward those things. So I think that's good. I want to get back there tonight. We are not there, but uh, one of the things I've been doing on Wednesdays, uh, we've we've had a little departure from this, but as we uh, address things on Sunday morning that have been super difficult or things that I didn't want to spend a whole sermon on, but I thought they needed to be addressed at, at, at some level, I've been addressing those on Wednesday nights. So that's that's where... Uh, we've done some of that, and I want to do that tonight. Uh, so I want to go back to Acts chapter 2, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, Acts chapter 2, this section of uh, Peter's sermon that we've been looking at. We're not going to read the whole thing tonight, uh, but I do want to uh, probably start in verse 37 and read to verse 42. That's, uh, that's the primary text that we covered last Sunday. 
And we will be coming back to this text on this coming Lord's Day. Uh, and we will be looking at the, uh, the baptism portion and, and what this text teaches us along with other texts of Scripture about baptism. And uh, it's not going to be an exhaustive uh, study of baptism. I, I mean, if you think about it, we are we are credo Baptist, credo Baptist, or credo Baptist. Some would say it that way. Um, and and we are credo Baptist not because one verse of Scripture tells us this, not because many verses of, verses of Scripture lead us to this, though we do have verses that lead us to uh, to a credo Baptist thinking. Uh, but we are we are even more than that and even deeper than that the covenant theology of the new covenant and and how we view the old covenant and how we view the new covenant and the fact that they are separate distinct covenants and they are not the same covenant under different administrations but they're this, they're two distinct covenants those things lead us to credo baptist uh beliefs so if we were to do an exhaustive study on why we are credo Baptist, that would take months and months. Uh, you can think of the Baptist covenant theology that we just went through with, uh, with JP not too long ago as being kind of an introduction to that. So, um, so that's, that's where we would be there. But we're going to just do one sermon uh, and kind of hit not necessarily the covenant theology side of it, but we're going to hit the textual side of baptism and credo-baptism from the scripture. So that's where we'll be Sunday. Uh, I'm doing a lot more talking before I get to scripture reading. Let's pray, and then we will, uh, we will read these verses 37. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 42. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for the blessings that you have given to us, your covenant people. God, we thank you that you have put us together in, in bodies, in, in groups of believers called churches, uh, that we can be uh, and feel uh, what it is to be in, in some small way, this, uh, this covenant people. We pray, Lord, in a, in a world where we live in, in such an individualistic society and everything is me-focused and I-focused, and especially, Lord, as we, as we feel so separated in, um, in the crazy world that we live in now, in, in the last months of this year, uh, we thank you that we can have a, um, a body, a family, uh, uh, a covenant people that we can be a part of. Uh, and we thank you that you are our covenant head in this. We pray that you would never let us exchange community and friendships for the foundation, the cornerstone uh, of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray that you would keep us faithful to our Lord, faithful to his word as he has revealed himself, as, as you have revealed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the scripture. We pray that you would keep us uh, faithful to the doctrines that you have laid out. We pray that you would 
Keep us from error and, and the error that we hold. And we know that we must hold error. We pray that you would root it out, that you would remove it from us, that we would be sanctified daily in, uh, in what we believe. Forgive us for the, for the beliefs that we hold that are not true. We know that believing in untruth is sin. And we, we ask that you would open our eyes to see those things. Be gracious to us, Lord. God, uh, we pray for your blessing on our Sunday morning services and on the preaching that is uh, happening on the Lord's day. We, we thank you for those blessings that you've already given us. We, we thank you for the work that continues to be done uh, through the preaching of your word in our hearts, even after we leave that place. Uh, and God, we pray for the this coming Lord's day and those Lord's days that, that you will uh, by your will still allow us to have uh, worshiping together. Uh, we pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. We pray for the preached word to be effectual in us. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to come and to, to uh, spend time uh, dealing with, wrestling with, um, thinking, uh, reasoning together from your word. We pray that you would apply your word to our hearts, that it would not just be uh, a book, that it would be your words, the, the inspired word of God that speaks to us, that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword uh, dividing joint from marrow. We, we pray, Lord, that you would do this for us and in us. God, I thank you for those who have already chimed in and said they're here and they're listening. Thank you for that they would that they would take this time and prioritize this time to to focus on you. We pray that it would be beneficial, that it would be um, to our uh, to our good and for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So uh, Acts chapter two, uh, Acts chapter two, verses thirty-seven to 42. Um, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are, who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. What a day that must have been. What a great uh, day this was for the church, for the early church. Verse 42 is where I want us to focus in. So verse 42, they were, and this would this they would be the church, those who were already apart. We know there were about 120 gathered in that upper room uh, as they began on the day of Pentecost. And then there was that day, 3,000 added. So we're looking at 3,120 people approximately. Um, so those were added. And this is the they of verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, this continually devoting themselves. By the way, this is this is a marker within the book of Acts. And as we move forward, we're going to see little markers that are that are summary statements of what's going on in the church. You might think of it as checking the pulse of the early church. And this is what we see. This is, uh, as we think about the regulative principle of worship, we don't find that word in the scripture, regulative principle of worship. But what we do find in scripture is that worship and what happened as churches is the things that God had commanded, that God had ordained, set forth in his word. And, and look at this. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we said Sunday at church that this would be the word of God, uh, the word of God read, but especially the word of God preached. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Uh, and, and we need to understand that often when we use the word fellowship, we're having a fellowship at the Johnson's house on Thursday, or we're having a fellowship at the Smith's house on Friday. Uh, often we just mean a get together. This fellowship, as we read about it in the scripture, fellowship is much deeper. Fellowship is a, is a spiritual sharing. It is an involvement. It is a, it is a being active in one another's lives. And, and this is uh, part of what it is to be a church. The, the reading and preaching of the word and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, to the breaking of bread. I want to point out this is the breaking of bread. If you look at this in the original text, you will see that the breaking of bread is the proper way for this to be interpreted. Look down, if you will, in verse 46. In verse 46, we see uh, a continued. Now, verse 42 is speaking of the church acting as a church. But then we see um, the church and, and a more broader, a, a broader explanation or a broader description of their lives. Uh, let's just continue. Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And we'll get to that in our preaching. And they had begun selling their property and possessions uh, and sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Uh, some have said this sounds a lot like uh, socialism or Marxism or communism. Is that what this is? We'll address that in our coming weeks at church and our preaching. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. So they're continuing in the temple day by day and breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Verse 46, we're speaking of, okay, they were in the temple daily. They, and they were breaking bread from house to house, breaking bread. In verse 42, we have the breaking of bread. It's a different thing. Uh, we speak of supper. Now, I don't know if you grow up, grew up where there's supper. Some people have uh, lunch and dinner. I grew up where dinner was the noon meal 
and supper was the evening meal. So we had breakfast, dinner, and supper. And uh, so if you had supper, uh, maybe you've had supper tonight, maybe you have not yet had supper tonight, uh, we think about supper. But when we speak of the Lord's Supper, we use the same word as supper, but we use it specifically. We might call it the supper. And, and often I hear uh, my pastor friends refer to uh, the, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper um, as the supper. And that's what we have here. In verse 46, they were having supper together. They were breaking bread together. Uh, that's just sharing their meals. As a matter of fact, it explicitly states they were sharing their meals together. But in verse 42, it's the breaking of bread. It is a specific, particular thing. It is the supper. So uh, what we have in verse 42 is that they were having this instituted ordinance of the church, this, this ordinance instituted by Christ. There are two ordinances instituted by Christ and commanded by him. Baptism, go therefore make disciples, baptizing them. So we are commanded to baptize. And then the Lord's Supper instituted or the Lord's Table, the Eucharist. There's many names that we call this, uh, but there, um, that also was commanded by the Lord. Uh, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Do it. Do it in remembrance. So there's a command there. Uh, so there's two ordinances. And here we have that these were baptized and then they were devoting themselves to the to the word, the ministry of the word, and they were devoting themselves to the Lord's table, and they were devoting themselves to being together as a church and fellowship, and they were devoting themselves to these last two words and to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, now, this may be something that we could spend that entire Sunday morning sermon on. I wanted to deal with it tonight. Uh, to deal with the idea of devoting ourselves to prayer. What we need to understand, church, is that when we leave off these things, then we have walked away from or left off the things that identify us as a church. Now, there's more. There's, there's church discipline that is certainly... Uh, an identity or a marker of a true church. And we see that and we will see that as acts unfold, that it is an identity of the church or a marker of a true church to practice church discipline. But these things, if we leave off these, what's a church without, if if you can still call that a church, it's a church that's that doesn't seem healthy. It's a church that doesn't seem that that things are where they need to be, a church without fellowship. What's a church without the breaking of the bread? The breaking, what, what's a church without the ordinance of the Lord's table or a church without the ordinance of baptism? What is that? If, if you can still consider it a church, it, it doesn't seem healthy. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem biblical. Uh, what's a church without the apostles' teaching? You know, for us, that's the preached word, the reading of the word. What's, what's the church without the word preached? I would argue the church without the word preached is not a church. So, so this is important for us to see 
the church without prayer, the church without a focus, a an emphasis on prayer is not the church. We will find later that the uh, and, and let me let me say this: the continuing in the temple daily that we read in these verses just following. Uh, they were going to the temple daily to pray. There was a there was a place of prayer and a time of prayer. We'll we'll find as we move on that um, 3 p.m. Would, would be their time of prayer, a daily time of prayer. That's something that was a holdover from the old covenant. It's, it's interesting that, um, that that old covenant tradition to pray every day at 3 p.m. was not uh, jettisoned by the Christians. Now, they were not under the old covenant. They in no way pretended that they were still under the old covenant. It is true that it took some time to to adjust to a new way of thinking. It took some time to learn what it was to be new covenant Christians. And, and there was some discussion about circumcision. There was some discussion about the foods that they could eat and dietary laws. There was, there was discussion about some of those things as they grew in them. Uh, but they were not under the Old Testament uh, law. They were not under the Old Covenant. But they did not just jettison this focus on daily prayer. Uh, and we as a new covenant body of believers, we as a new covenant church should have a focus on prayer. Now, I, I don't believe that we have to, as a matter of legalism or as a matter of law, come together every day at 3 p.m. and pray. Uh, but if you were to set aside a time to pray uh, at at a certain time of day, every day. What a good practice. You'd be better for it. And, and if we set aside times of day to pray uh, collectively, either together or knowing that we're praying in our separate homes, in our separate places, that's a, that's a good thing. I, I will never forget uh, when I first uh, learned of the Muslim practice of praying five times per day. I, uh, I thought, why would I let a Muslim uh, praying to a false God um, outdo me on prayer? Uh, I want to set aside time to pray. And I set my alarm and, and set aside time to pray five times per day. Um, now, I uh, I don't know if I should be embarrassed about this. I will tell you quickly, I don't do that now. Uh, we, we have a tendency to let the busyness of life get to us. At that time, I was able to, to take that time out and pray five times a day. And, and it was good. I was, uh, I do think it benefited me. I was better for it, better, better for it because of speaking to the Lord, uh, on a regular basis. I mean, on a very regular basis. Uh, some of these things, um, now we will talk about in a little bit about habit and we don't want to just pray out of only habit, but when it's a habit to pray, um, that's not a bad thing that our first reaction or one of our first reactions is to go to our Lord. 
uh, I think of the times that uh, with my children, either either with my children when they were young and when they were at home, or my children even now, uh, if they have a habit of calling mom or calling dad, uh, hey, that works with me. If I have a habit of calling my mom or calling my dad, uh, it's it's a good relationship when we think uh, the first thing we want to do when we have good news is call our parents. Well, the first thing we want to do when we have bad news is call our parents. The first thing we want to do when we need advice is to call our parents. If we have that kind of relationship, man to man, human to human, woman to woman, if we have that kind of relationship and we know it's good to be in communication like that, why wouldn't we want that kind of communication, that kind of prayer life with our Heavenly Father? Uh, and, and by the way, uh, prayer is a two-way conversation. Prayer without scripture is, is um, unheard of. Now, that doesn't mean you're always with an open Bible. You can't always be. Sometimes I pray driving down the road. Maybe you do too. And you don't always have an open Bible. You don't always have head bowed and eyes closed. But prayer isolated from scripture is, is unthinkable. It's unheard of. Uh, so so it's a, it's a two-way communication. Uh, I kind of got off my uh, notes and off my direction there, so I want to get back to it. Um, when we think about prayer and we think about the early church, they focused on prayer. Remember, And we'll see this not too long ago, but remember when, uh, when Peter was arrested and the church gathered to pray and they prayed specifically and particularly for his release. And then he was released miraculously. And when he was released miraculously, he knew right where to go. He knew right where everyone was. They were at the prayer meeting. So, um, so they were, they were praying for him. Um, I got distracted. I got to get back on track. Let's think about this. They were devoting themselves to prayer. This is the New Testament Christian church devoting themselves to prayer. But I already mentioned that they prayed at 3 p.m. And the 3 p.m. prayers was a Jewish practice. That came from Judaism. That came from what everyone else was doing. So what would be the difference between the Jews praying every day at 3 p.m. and these Christians devoting themselves to prayer? What would be different? What would mark the, the prayer? What would mark the praying as a different sort of thing? Uh, as we think about that, it, it's important. How would their prayer be different? Uh, maybe you've thought of that. Maybe you've never thought of that. I want us to think about it now. How would their prayer be different? Uh, the first thing I think is, that is important is that they would pray, and I'm looking now uh, for the passage that I'm trying to find, and I'll uh, I'll never find it. Uh, they would pray the way they were instructed to pray uh, by our Lord. Uh, so they would pray what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I, I would argue with the title "The Lord's Prayer" uh, because the Lord's Prayer. I would say is in John 17, uh, but we will find the Lord's Prayer uh, in multiple places in the Gospels, but I want to go to the one that we've most recently studied, and that would be from Luke 
uh, chapter 11, uh, Luke 11, Jesus teaches uh, the disciples to pray. We find in Luke 11, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Uh, so the Lord teaches us to pray. Uh, and he said to them, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also uh, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. We have this account where Jesus was asked, teach us to pray. And he says this, when you pray, say. Jesus is giving us here, uh, giving them, and by way of, of the scripture, giving us a form for us to pray. Giving us a prayer that we might repeat. A prayer that we might use the Lord Jesus's words to pray, when you pray, say. So we have the Lord's prayer, this model prayer, as a form that we might uh, follow, that we might repeat it. But we also have in the uh, uh, Matthew account where we have the Lord's prayer, uh, Jesus said it a different way there. He said, when you pray, pray in this way, pray this way. So what we find then is that we are instructed in one gospel to pray the words of the Lord, Lord's Prayer, and in the other gospel we are instructed to pray the for, uh, to pray the uh, formula to pray. And I'm probably using poor words here, but but to pray the outline of the Lord's Prayer, if you will. The Lord's Prayer covers the things that we should be praying when we pray. Our prayers should. Uh, look like at least they may be longer. They may be, uh, hopefully not many of them are too, too much shorter than the Lord's prayer, but they may be longer. They may be arranged differently, but, but think about are the things in the Lord's prayer included in our prayers, our individual prayers and our prayers as we pray corporately as a body of believers. Uh, I believe it was Martin Lloyd Jones and I'll, I'll paraphrase what he said. I, I think this is attributed to him. Uh, when I pray, I, I don't have to fear that I have prayed poorly because I, I am assured when I end my prayer by repeating the Lord's Prayer verbatim, word for word, that I have covered the, uh, the topics, the, the items of prayer that need to be covered. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, that's, a, that's a paraphrase, a poor paraphrase, but uh, that leads me to believe that he probably repeated the Lord's Prayer either every time or at least regularly when he prayed uh, to himself. And we certainly should pray using our own words, but we should pray using the Lord's Prayer. I would encourage each and every one of you, if you do not have the Lord's Prayer memorized, uh, to memorize the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we are going to be, as a church, repeating and we have done this in the past we have repeated the lord's prayer together corporately and we're going to be doing that when we do that together corporately we will uh we have to settle on something uh we have to settle on a version uh so we're going to use the one that many of us have memorized as children the king james version of the lord's prayer uh we'll be we'll be using that uh for our corporate 
prayers together and, and we'll be doing that. We, I, I don't think we'll be doing that every Lord's Day, but we'll be doing that a lot more regularly. Um, so the first thing that would be different in this New Testament Christian church devoting themselves to prayer is that they would pray the Lord's Prayer. They would pray as they were instructed by Jesus. And the other thing that they would pray that would be different in their prayer than from the prayers of Judaism is that Jesus told them uh, up to this point, you have asked nothing in my name, but now you will ask in my name. You will pray in my name. Now, I mentioned this on Sunday. Many of us either grow up or we develop the idea that, well, that the only way to end a prayer is to say, in Jesus' name, amen. And th that's how you, and that's, that's like signing off. If you're talking on a, on a CB radio, you say over and out. And when you're praying, you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, that is not the case. That should not be. There should be nothing that is just rote, unfelt, uh, no meaning behind it, repetition as we pray. Uh, what we have when we, re when we pray in Jesus' name or when we pray, and, and by the way, here's a question. Can we pray in Jesus' name and not say, in Jesus' name we pray? Can we pray in Jesus' name and not say those words? Uh, I think we should say those words, but we don't have to always say those words. I think we can, we can pray in the name of Christ without saying we are praying in the name of Christ, even though it is good. For, it's a good reminder for us, and it is good for us to pray and say in the name of Christ. Um, but, but remember from Sunday's sermon, to say in the name of Jesus or in the name of God is not just speaking of a magic word or magic formula or just speaking of something that, that puts a good rubber stamp on our prayer. Saying in Jesus' name is speaking of his authority. It's speaking of his person and his power. It's speaking of all of who he is. So to pray in Jesus' name is to bring Christ to bear on our prayers, to bring his will to bear on our prayers. How, how powerful is this when we can pray scripture and we can pray that God would save the elect? Jesus Christ himself prayed this, that the Father would draw the elect. When we can pray God's will to be accomplished on earth, when we can pray these things and we know we can have absolute confidence we are praying within the will of God. That is wonderful. And, and this should be um, a, a, regular, a regular practice for us to pray scripture, to, to pray the words of scripture that reveal the will of God to us. And then we know that our prayers will be answered. When you pray that God would save the elect, you can have a guarantee that he will answer that prayer. And you're aligning your heart with his heart. So we pray in Jesus' name. The, the early Christian church 
would have prayed differently from the Jews, differently from all the other nations, differently from every other religion, because they would pray in Jesus' name, by his authority, by his power, by his person, and in accordance to his will. Now, doesn't that change what we pray for? Uh, doesn't that change? God, I, I pray that you would help me to win the lottery so I can get that new Lamborghini that I want. Well, how can I pray that in Jesus' name? People do that. They just add in Jesus' name on it like it's going to be the magic formula, but it doesn't work, does it? it? It doesn't work that way. and It never was intended to work that way. So we should pray in Jesus' name. Uh, I'm running out of time with all the things. I don't think I'm going to get to Gil. Um, let me just recommend this uh, this article. I have it in a Word document. If you're unable to find this and you want it, I can send it to you. But I know I got it off the internet somewhere. I think I downloaded it as a PDF. It's called Of Public Prayer, uh, A Body of Practical Divinity, Book 3, Chapter 5, John Gill. So you might find that if you have, well, I don't know if you have John Gill's writings. Um, but this is Of Public Prayer by John Gill. It may be, it may be a little difficult to read, but I think it may be worth the effort. Uh, what I will go ahead, so I'm not going to get to that, but what I will go ahead and share with you is uh, some thoughts and some notes that I took from uh, True Prayer, True Power, uh, a message delivered by Charles Spurgeon, August 12th, 1860. He is speaking from a text, Therefore I say to you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have them. Boy, that's a verse taken out of context and misused, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's, that's where he's beginning. That's Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Uh, so this verse we read, this, this verse has something to do with the faith of miracles. But I think that it has far more reference to the miracle of faith. Uh, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. How many persons are there who complain that they do not enjoy prayer? They do not, uh, they do not neglect it for they dare not, but they would neglect it if they dared. So far they find from having pleasure therein. Uh, I would say one difference from 1860 to 2020 may be that there are far more who neglect prayer. Uh, is there a time that we would say as Christians, I pray enough. I pray enough. I don't need any more prayer. I pray enough. Uh, Taylor, Taylor wrote this uh, on our group chat. John Owen says that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. There you go. So praying in a Trinitarian way. Uh, and, and when I said that we pray in the name of Jesus, I'm not trying to say that we don't pray in a triune way. Often you'll hear me pray to a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we should do that. The difference, though, would be those Jews would have prayed to Jehovah, and they were aware of the work of the Spirit, but they would not have included. They would not have prayed a triune God prayer. They would have prayed excluding Jesus. Okay, let me continue with, uh, with Spurgeon here. Um, 
And have we not to lament that sometimes the chariot wheels are taken off and we drive uh, right, heav right heavily when we are uh, in supplication? We spend the time allotted, but we rise from our knees unrefreshed, like a man who has lain upon his bed but has not slept so as to recover his strength. We rise from our knees perhaps more troubled in conscience and more distressed in mind than we were before. There are many Christians, I think, who have complained of this. They that pray not so much because it is a blessing to them to be allowed to draw near to God as because they pray because it is their duty. Uh, if I can show you a more excellent way, from this time forth, you may come to look at prayer as your element, as one of the most delightful exercises of your life. If you shall come to esteem it more than your necessary food and to value it as one of heaven's best luxuries, surely I shall have answered the great end and you shall have to thank God for a great blessing. He says, first look at the text. How much time do I have? We got time to finish. First look at the text according to our Savior's description of prayer, there should always be some definite objects for which you should plead. He speaks of things, what things you desire. That's coming from Mark 11. Therefore, I say to you, what things you desire when you pray. He speaks of things, what things you desire. It seems that he did not put it that God's children would go to him and pray when they have nothing to pray for. Another essential qualification of prayer is earnest desire. For the master supposes that when we pray, we have desires. Indeed, it is not prayer unless there be a fullness and an overflowing of desires. Observe, too, that faith is an essential quality of successful prayer. Believe that ye receive them. You cannot pray so as to be heard in heaven and answered to your soul satisfaction, unless you believe that God really hears and will answer you. One of the other qualifications appears here upon the very surface, namely that a realized expectation should always go with a firm faith. Believe that you received them. Not just that you believe that you shall, but believe that you do receive them. Count them as if they were received. Reckon them as if you already had them and act as if you had them. Act as if you were sure that you would uh, that you should have them. Believe that you would receive them and you shall have them. Let me pause there to say this. Uh, there are many who pray with that confidence, but they do not pray within the will of God. They speak to God. They approach the throne with this confidence, but not with this confidence in the name of Jesus, not with this confidence by the will of Christ. They come with their own will. God, I am great. I am awesome. I am wonderful. And they say this as though God believes that about them. You've heard it said like this, God loves you so much that if he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Can I say this? Malarkey. That's, maybe that's just for you Greek speakers. That is malarkey. If, if we're going to say that God's focus, God's attention is on a thing, it would be on his own glory, on his own glory. And 
it should rightly be on his own glory. Because he is God, it is only right to glory in him. So what God does for us, to us, through us, on our behalf, what he does with us and with all creation is ultimately for his glory. So when we pray and we, as Hebrews instructs us, come boldly before the throne. We don't come boldly before the throne because we are awesome and God thinks we are just the bee's knees. We come before the throne boldly because of his glory in what he has done through Christ Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, and through the Spirit applying that to us and saving us, and it is for his glory. So we come boldly because of this. Okay, I just wanted to say, as Spurgeon's saying this, people have a tendency to take Spurgeon, rip him out of context, and misuse what he said. Let me continue. To make prayer of any value, there should be definite objects for which we plead. My brethren, we often ramble on in our prayers after this or that or the other, and we get nothing because we do not really desire anything. We chatter about many subjects, but the soul does not concentrate itself on any one object. Do you not sometimes fall to your knees without thinking beforehand what you mean to ask God for? You do so as a matter of habit, without any motion of your heart. You are like a man who should go to a shop, go shopping, uh, and not know the article which he would procure. He's saying you're like a person who goes to the store not knowing what you're there to buy. He may perhaps make a happy purchase when he's there, but certainly this is not a wise plan to adopt. And so the Christian in prayer may afterwards attain a real desire and get his end, but how much better would he be had he prepared his soul by consideration and self-examination? He came to God for an object at which he was about to, uh, was about to aim with real request. I, I'm going to pause here. This is preparation for prayer. You know, the Bible instructs us pray without ceasing. But this, what Spurgeon is speaking of is preparing our hearts and preparing our minds before we come to prayer. Now, there are certain things that we know when we bow our heads, we're going to pray. Even uh, there, are, there are lost people who I pray for. Every time I bow my head to pray, whether that prayer comes out, out loud, out of my mouth, you can guarantee there's, uh, there's one person, and now probably two, on my heart that I pray for every time. We should, we should have those people. We should have those things that we are praying for. Um, the, the growth of the church, the edification of the church, the preaching of the word, the accomplishment of what the word is. But uh, he'll get to that. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little carried away with this uh, as we go here. He's going to speak about requesting audience with the queen. Did we ask audience at Her Majesty's court? We should expect to reply to this question. 
What do you wish to see her for? We should not expect to go into the presence of royalty and then to think of some petition after which we came there. You do not go to work without knowing that there is something that you designed to make. How is it that you go to God without knowing what you designed to have? If you had some object, you would never find, if you had some object, you would never find prayer to be dull and heavy work. You will find it more helpful to your prayers if you have some object at which you aim. And I think also if you have some persons whom you will mention, some persons whom you will mention. Uh, let me read this next part too. Do not merely plead for with God for sinners in general, but always mention some in particular. And if there be a mercy in your household that you crave, don't go about it in a roundabout way, but be simple and direct in your pleadings with God. He goes on to say, pray in your own simple words, speak plainly to God. Um, I, I'm not going to finish that either, but um, he, he speaks about praying for spiritual mercies from God. There are, there are graces that we need to receive from God spiritually, and there are also practical things uh, the rent needs to be paid, and that is a matter of prayer. And food needs to be on the table, and the electricity bill has to be. Uh, there, there are things that we need to pray for. Some people need to pray for a job. Some people need to pray uh, that they would have uh, better working hours. Or We pray for, for things in the physical realm. Uh, but when we pray for those things, we need to pray always knowing that we pray according to God's will. And that he knows, if that's not an overarching thing when I pray, God, I don't know all things, and you do. So I'm asking you from where I come from, but um, but God, interpret what my needs are. You know what my needs are. Give me what I need. Um, but we need to pray. He um, Spurgeon continues to speak about um, those who would say, well, I don't know what to pray for. I, just, I don't have anything to pray for. And uh, first of all, he questions, how can, you, how can you live and breathe and go through the day and not have something to pray for, have not have something that is on your heart? And if you have nothing on your heart, then first of all, I would say begin, and Spurgeon doesn't say this, but I'd say begin with a prayer of thanksgiving. If your needs are so thoroughly met that you have nothing, you have no uh, supplication to ask, then pray a prayer of thanksgiving. God has blessed you, uh, and you should pray and thank him for that. And if you need things to pray for, first of all, there are things that, there are things, there are people that you should be praying for that you should never have to ask. As long as we are in this world, you should pray for your children, pray for their salvation, pray for the salvation of your family, and pray for them by name, mention their names, uh, pray for them, um, regularly. Pray for them until they are saved. Uh, you should pray for your pastors. Pray for those who uh, teach you the word of God. We are instructed this in scripture. Uh, pray for your elders. Pray for your church. Pray for the edification and for the sanctification of the church. Pray for the church's peace and comfort. Pray for our leaders in our country that we would be um, able to lead quiet and peaceable lives. 
And if you get through all those things and you still have nothing to pray, turn to a fellow believer and say, I don't have anything to pray for. And I would guarantee you, and Spurgeon does go into this, I guarantee you that a fellow believer is going to say, well, I've got something you can pray for me about. Uh, I've never asked someone, how can I pray for you? And them say, I, I have no way that you can pray for me. There's always something. There's always some way to pray for someone. Uh, let me encourage you while we're speaking of prayer. As your pastors, Pastor Brent and I, uh, we pray for you regularly. We want to pray for you effectively. So I would say make it a regular habit to uh, send us an email, to send us a text message, to send us uh, smoke signals, to call us on the phone, however you can get with us and let us know when there's something we can pray for you about. And it doesn't matter if it's if you think it's trivial. It doesn't matter what it is. We want to be praying for you. Uh, so please let us know how we can pray for you. And I know that uh, Pastor Brent's not here to say it, but I know he would amen that. Uh, so we want to pray for you in that. Uh, I ran out of time and I was going to shorten some things and I've kind of lost my place. I, here's the thing. Let, let, let me finish with this from Spurgeon. This is a this is a statement of prayer. If he said, if you're looking for things to pray, and he prays this for London, but I'm gonna pray. I'm, I'm gonna say, let's pray this for the city of Waco. Let's pray this for McLennan County. Let's pray this for the surrounding areas. Let's pray this for the places where we live. He says, Oh, that London may live before thee, that its sin may be stayed. Think about that. The sin that happens around us may be stayed by the hand of God. Christians, let us pray this. Waco Family Baptist Church, let us pray. I, I, I think we are blessed that sin is not more rampant, that sin is not more, but let us pray that sin would be stayed by the hand of God. He continues, that its righteousness may be exalted that it's righteous, the righteousness of our town, the righteousness of our county, the righteousness of where we live may be exalted, that the God of the earth may get unto himself much people out of this city, that God would save many who love him and serve him and worship him. Let us pray. Let us be a praying church. We have we have set aside uh, one Wednesday per month um, for prayer. We've been doing that uh, over the last few months over a Zoom meeting uh, because this, this is okay for a teaching. This is okay for, for a one-way communication kind of thing. And we kind of have a, a two-way thing going. Pastor Brent says, amen, that we want to hear your prayer request. Uh, so we kind of have a two-way thing, but but what a blessing it has been on our Wednesday night prayer times to be able to be in, in a Zoom meeting with everyone. And, and if you don't have a computer or a cell phone that'll do that, there's availability where you can call in and hear everyone that's on the uh, on the call, everyone that's in that meeting, and we can pray one with another. What a blessing that's been. That'll be coming up in a couple of weeks as we look to, is it going to be October already? Well, uh, time flies, so we'll we'll have that coming up in October. Uh, but we don't want to just have once a month on Wednesdays as our prayer time. 
you think about uh, the fact that every Wednesday we pray, every Lord's Day we pray. Uh, I, I pray generally at the beginning of our worship service as a call to worship uh, with a reading of scripture and a prayer to, to set our hearts for worship. Pastor Brent brings a pastoral prayer where he is leading us and praying for us and with us, leading us in a prayer. And, and when he prays for the Harris family, you pray for the Harris family. Even the Harris family should at that time pray for the Harris family. Everyone should be. So, so Pastor Brent is, is working through it. And when Pastor Brent prays for our, our governmental leaders and names them by name or calls them, that leads us to pray. So we want to be a people praying. And it's not just a way to start the service and to end the service and to fill up some space in the middle. We want to be a people who take our hearts toward, to, the, to the Lord in prayer. Uh, as a matter of obedience, as a matter of example, the, the first church, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we want to follow their example. Um, I, let me say this very quickly. I know we need to end. We have said many times that much of what we read in Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive. It is a description of what happened, not a prescription for what we should make happen or what we should look for to happen. But there are exceptions to this. And one exception to this is this verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That should be prescriptive for us. That's that should be a focus of the church today. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to the sacraments. That should be prescriptive for us. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Let us be a praying people. Now, right now, the danger for all of us is that we think, oh, I should pray more. I really should do that. Maybe we feel bad a little bit about not praying as much as we should or as faithfully as we should. Or, and then we shut off the live stream and we go back to life as usual and nothing changes. I challenge you to think about your life. Think about your schedule. Think about your daily routine. And think about how you can incorporate prayer more. How you can incorporate being a better prayer. Now that, that may not mean setting aside every Thursday that you call in sick to work and spend the whole day in prayer. That's not going to do that. And, and by the way, that wouldn't be the right thing for you to do. But it may mean... Uh, setting aside five or 10 more minutes than you're setting aside today. Just a small change, but a small daily change that, that encourages you and pushes your heart to go to the Lord more, more faithfully, uh, to take your cares, uh, to take your concerns, to take your supplications to him. Um, there's so much more that can be said about prayer. 
Uh, I was concerned that this was going to take me 20 minutes and we were going to be done early. Obviously, I was way off. <laughs> um, but I hope that it's been beneficial to you. I, I do think that, it, that if we hear and apply what the Word says, it will be beneficial to us. So I hope that you will do that. <clears throat> be, uh, please continue to be in prayer for Daniel's mother uh, as she has had surgery and is recovering. And uh, we hope to hear Hope to hear more uh, from them. Uh, be in prayer for our worship services on Sunday. Take the opportunity if you're in our uh, if you're in our group B group uh, that if you have prayer needs that we will share those with one another. Uh, I do believe that when we when we post those prayer requests and we have people saying I will be praying. Those people aren't just saying that. Uh, and, and by the way, let us be the people who don't just say it. Let us be the people who pray. Uh, one of the things that I do, because what a horrible lie it is to say, I'll be praying for you, and then to forget or to neglect, and you never get around it. One of the commitments that I have is when I say to someone, I will pray for you or I will be praying for you, I usually pray for them right then. Sometimes it's with them in person in an out loud prayer. Sometimes it's as I'm going to the next thing, I whisper a prayer that God would bless that situation or heal them or be with them in whatever way. But uh, we need to be people who, when we say we're going to pray for somebody, we will. And I believe that we have people in our church who are pray, praying people. Uh, so let's, let us be praying for one another. Thank you for your time tonight. Um, continue to be in prayer for our church, for those who are uh, unable to meet with us and, and for the welfare of our, of our county and our, uh, our cities so that we can get back to what we're saying, get back to normal. We never want to get back to normal. I, I think we, we have a heightened uh, appreciation for meeting together as a church. We have a heightened appreciation now for the true fellowship that goes on. So we don't want to go back to business as usual, but we do want to. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and we will uh, be dismissed with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you and, and we've been thinking and speaking about prayer, God, we, we must first ask your forgiveness for neglect. We have, we have neglected prayer. We have chosen to do other things when we should be praying. We have been lazy. God, please forgive us the sin of neglecting prayer. God, we pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would give us that, that heart that turns to you first, that turns to you quickly, that runs to the cross of Christ, that rushes to the throne room. God, help us to be people who pray and, and pray without ceasing. Help us to be people who pray intentionally and thoughtfully and apply the, 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 all of the scripture and all that the scripture teaches us about prayer, that it would come to bear on our prayer life. 
Help us especially to apply and to know the, the special instruction of our Lord Jesus as he gave us a model prayer. God, we, uh, we thank you for the blessing of prayer, a means of grace, a means by which you distribute grace to your people. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, you would certainly do this. We pray for our corporate times of prayer. We, we pray that you'd help us to, to learn to be led in prayer, to pray after those who lead us. God, we, uh, we thank you for this blessing that we have through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for this time we've had together tonight. And if you tarry your coming, we pray that you would meet with us on Sunday in power, that we would meet and hear from our Lord and our Savior. We pray this in his name and we believe we ask in accordance to your will.